Show. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. When I went downstairs this morning after waking up, I found a half-dead mouse on the carpet with both cats sniffing around it. The mouse wasn't dead. There was still some life in the cats. They were very interested. Incidentally, the Pirates, who I pronounced dead earlier this year, are still twitching with life. Unfortunately, the mouse will die today, if it hasn't already, and the Pirates, well, they're alive and well right now, ain't gonna amount to what you want them to. You found the Crowley Show where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call. Or you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter at underscore Adam Crowley. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we doing radio up in here. Shirtless Tom on his way back from setting things up at Steelers training camp. Brian LaMartina is here. He's behind the glass until Tom gets his shirtless ass back here in studio. It shouldn't be long, although he's a terrible driver, so fingers crossed that he gets here altogether. Here's my poll question for the day. Unsponsored. At underscore Adam Crowley. Are the Pirates good? 70% of you say no. The Pirates are who I thought they were. So I'm not going to let them off the hook. Before the season, I would not have been surprised if they were a game or two above 500. Or a game or two below 500. The Pirates are, as we speak, three games over 500, just seven days before the trade deadline. That has them four games back for the second wild card in the National League. It's where they always were going to be. Sure, they've won 10 games in a row. Sure, their outfielders are playing better than any trio in baseball. Sure, the pitching staff has suddenly turned things around. The Pirates might have gotten the three games over 500 in dramatic fashion with bombs flying out the stadium, Corey Kluber running and hiding with his tail between his legs. But this is where the Pirates were always expected to be. Don't let the theatrics cloud the way that you look at them. Jason Rollison from Bucks Dugout and the Locked On Pirates podcast is going to join us in 18 minutes to talk about what the Pirates could be doing at the trade deadline. Are the Pirates going to go after a guy like J.A. Happ? Are the Pirates going to go after a guy like Chris Archer? Or are the Pirates just going to tinker like they've done over the last couple of years? Maybe add a bullpen arm here, a bullpen arm here. Maybe subtract a David Freeze. Maybe lose a Jordy Mercer. We'll get the rundown from him. As for the poll question, are the Pirates good? I think they're talented enough to be where they are. Mediocre. They're sixth in the National League in runs scored. That means that they're one behind what would be a quote-unquote playoff team. They're sixth in OPS, same goes there. They're fifth in average. So offensively, they're right around that playoff team caliber. They're a fringe playoff team on that side of the ball. But then you look at the pitching staff. They're 10th in ERA. They're 9th in quality starts. They're 10th in batting average against. It's not playoff caliber. Jamison Tyon, over the last three or four starts, has pitched like an absolute ace. He's got a 380 ERA on the season. You're good there. But you look at everyone else, and they're not bad pitchers. Some nights they're very good. 
But just like the Pirates, some nights they're very good, some nights they're not. Musgrove's got a 408 ERA, Kingham and Trevor Williams 411, Nova 428, Chad Cool 455. Their starters are average. And to compound problems, Tyone averages just over five innings a start. Same with Nova and Williams and Cool and Kingham and Musgrove. So while they have been somewhat effective, they're not going deep enough in the games. And the bullpen is pretty solid on the back end, but they're getting in far too early. This is an average baseball team. It wouldn't shock me to see them a game or two over or a game or two under, and that hasn't changed since the first pitch of the season. It's what I said in the run-up. It's what I've said all season long. They weren't as bad as the 17-31 and 31 stretch. They weren't as good as the, what, 26-17 and 17 start. And they're not as good as this 10-game winning streak. They've gotten to exactly where I thought they'd be. They just did it somewhat sexily. I mean, Greg Brown busted one last night. When Josh Harrison went yad. He went berserk. And every home run call Greg Brown makes during this winning streak, he sounds equal parts aroused and surprised. Now, every time I'm aroused, I'm generally surprised, too. Who the hell would want to touch me? I know that tone, and that's exactly what he's saying. It's almost as if people didn't expect this from the Pirates. No one ever expected a 10-game winning streak, but let me remind you, the last time the Pirates... Had a 10-game winning streak. It was 2004. It got broken by the Montreal Expos. And the Pirates didn't amount to anything that year. It was in the midst of the worst slide in the history of North American sports. So I think everyone needs to temper their expectations. And I think everyone needs to realize that what we're seeing right now isn't who they are. When they were awful, that's not who they are either. They are an average baseball team. If you look at the lineup and you look at the starters and you look at the bullpen, they don't have a lot of gaping flaws. But in the pitching staff, they don't have a lot of strengths either. I respect the hell out of Stan Saverin. I respect the hell out of Rob King. But sometimes you get clouded by what you see in a streak like this. And Stan was talking to Rob, and Stan said, over the course of the streak... I haven't seen Marte or Polanco make one of those boneheaded base running decisions. I haven't seen them throw the ball to the cutoff guy incorrectly. Uh, I haven't seen them throw to a wrong base. Do you think that they figured it out, or is it just the streak clouding the judgment? And it was a good question by Stan, but I think it's the clouding of judgment. Starling Marte is not figuring it out. Starling Marte has always been a very, very, very good baseball player. Gregory Polanco, when he's been good, can carry a team because of the power he possesses in that bat. But he's still going to make mistakes. Marte's still going to make mistakes. Marte's still going to throw to wrong bases. Just because the Pirates are playing well right now doesn't change the fact that their entire careers, they've been what they've been. We have to calm down. We have to take a breath. They've been fun to watch. It's been great as a baseball fan in Pittsburgh to say, you know what? The CPR... It worked. They're still alive. It's been great. It's nice to hear Greg Brown's complicated calls that are mixed with arousal and surprise. That's amazing. Baseball's fun again for now in Pittsburgh. But man, don't get your hopes up. Just like that mouse that we found in my kitchen today.
It was still alive, but it's going to die. The poor little thing is clawing its way across the carpet with only two working legs, and me can't even kill a bug. I didn't know what to do with the damn thing. I couldn't put it out of its misery. I couldn't. I took it outside. I let it be, and I hoped it would crawl its way into my neighbor's garage. Sorry, neighbor. So it could go in there and die in peace and not get picked apart by raccoons. Oh, my God. But the pirates are that mouse. They're going to die. They're not going to be a playoff team this year. Man, they won 10 games in a row, and they've clawed their way back into the wild card, but any idea how hard it is to jump four teams? I'm looking at the standings last night because, hey, it's scoreboard watching time. And you're looking at the Phillies, and you're looking at the Braves, and you're thinking, okay, let's see if they can pick up some ground here. But the Phillies and Braves are tied for the division, so if one dude loses and the other dude wins, well, okay, one team pops into the first place, and then the other team, yeah, they drop a game, but you have to fight with both of them. They've got the back alley wild card that they can contend for, even if they don't win the National League East. Same thing with Washington, although they're behind the Pirates at this point. You look at Colorado... And you look at Arizona, and, man, every night one of those teams is going to win. It's just so hard to make up ground. And if the Pirates want to make the playoffs, they got to get to 86 wins, you'd have to think, at least. And, boy, they'd have to go on a tear to get to that at this point. They'd have to be a great baseball team from here on out. And as I already said before, they're an average team. Sixth in run score in the National League. Sixth in OPS. Fifth in average. That's right around the playoff team. But the pitching's not there. Tenth in ERA. Ninth in quality starts. Tenth in batting average against. In the rotation, as good as they've been lately, they're a bunch of guys. Musgrove's got potential, but right now he's a guy. 408 ERA. Kingham and Trevor Williams, they're just guys, despite what Williams did last night. 411 ERA for both of them. Nova, 428. Chad Cool, 455. Those are the guys who are taking the ball every fifth day. Now, they're not going to blow it for you, but they're not going to go past the sixth, and that makes the bullpen taxed. They're not great. What happens if you add a starting pitcher? Okay, you knock one of those guys out of the rotation, fine, but he's only going to get to pitch seven times now between where we are and the end of the season. How much of a difference is that really going to make? The Pirates shouldn't add anything that's going to cost legit dollars. They shouldn't add anything that's going to cost legit prospects. But here's the deal. The public relations aspect's probably going to force them to have to do something. And they have in the past. In 2011, they added Derek Lee and Ryan Ludwig. In 2012, they added Wandy Rodriguez and Travis Snyder and Gabby Sanchez. Oh, yeah, and Chad Qualls. In 2015, they added Aramis Ramirez, Joe Blanton, Joaquin Soria, J.A. Happ, and Michael Morse. Big deadline there. In 2016, they moved their closer, Mark Melanson, to Washington, but they got Felipe Vasquez and Taylor Hearn. Vasquez, of course, has been fabulous. And then there was shipping off Francisco Liriano for Drew Hutchinson. They also got Ivan Nova and Antonio Bastardo in 2016. But last year, they sent Tony Watson, and they acquired Joaquin Benoit. They've done some stuff at the deadline. How will they do it this year? I think it's going to be a lot of the same. You're going to see some some subtractions. Easy for me to say. David Freeze, Jordy Mercer, and then a couple of additions that aren't going to move the needle, but enough for the Pirates to say, hey, we tried. Jason Rollison joins us in eight minutes. 
from the Locked On Pirates podcast and BucksDugout.com to discuss. Do you see the deal that Todd Gurley got? Ruh-ru, Raggy. $45 million guaranteed. Four-year extension, 60 mil. And the guaranteed money is obviously the most important thing. Le'Veon Bell sent out a tweet. Fist in the air. Yeah, Todd. Yo, Lev, you ain't happy for Todd. You're happy for you. But Steelers fans, I told you Le'Veon Bell was going to get that money. And I'll be damned if Le'Veon Bell isn't going to get that money. Todd Gurley's a hell of a football player. But he hasn't had the career that Le'Veon Bell's had. And he's in part getting paid for what he's going to do in addition to what he did last year. Le'Veon Bell on the open market is going to get that or more. And if the Steelers deal was for $33 million guaranteed, then he absolutely did the right thing by not signing it because now he's going to have made $26 million over the last two years on the franchise tag. And then he'll get a contract worth maybe $45 million guaranteed next year. It was a gamble by his agent. It's still a gamble whether or not he can stay healthy or be productive enough this year. But I have no doubt that if he is healthy, he will be productive and therefore, if he stays healthy, he's cashing in. And all y'all who say he did the wrong thing, you're going to be wrong. And he knows that. Because here's his last tweet. LOL. And people thought I was tripping. That's the way it goes. Todd Gurley's getting paid for the value that he adds to his franchise. Le'Veon Bell wants to get paid because of the value that he adds to a franchise, not whether or not he's a running back, but because he's a great player. But now, in free agency next year, it's going to get to be about both. Because instead of being compared to Devontae Freeman, instead of being compared to that $8.25 million contract as the next highest back, Le'Veon Bell is going to be compared to Todd Gurley. This is going to set the precedent for him getting everything he wants on the open market. Because Todd Gurley got paid for being a player and not just a running back, now Le'Veon Bell doesn't have to make the case that he wants to get paid as a player. All he needs to do is say, hey, the last running back got paid $45 million guaranteed. The rookie, Saquon Barkley, got $30 million guaranteed. Now it's time to pay the big boy. Now it's time to pay the best running back in the league that kind of cash. And he's going to have a flipping point. Jerry Dulac's going to join us at 5 to talk a little bit about Le'Veon in that situation. Also wanted to talk to him a little bit about the Open Championship and whether or not Tiger's back. We got Will Graves at 5.40 to talk about all this. But coming up next, it's Jason Rollison. What should the Pirates do at the deadline? Are they good? He'll weigh in. It's the Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Uh, we got to earn tomorrow. That's French. <laughs> That's yeah. your French. Yes. We, and me, 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 woo, poo, poo. Very good French. I agree. Very that was excellent. So good. I can do right quick, Gudis. The Flyers going to win. We are going to earn tomorrow. Adam Crowley. It's not even funny. On ESPN Pittsburgh. It is the halfway point in Crowley Show baseball season. Yesterday was day one. Tomorrow's the last day, so that would make today the halfway point. Because 
Thursday, I'm up at camp, and we'd be talking football. I somewhat joke and somewhat kid. We'll be talking about the Pirates from 4 o'clock until 7. I'll also be doing a show from 3 o'clock until 4, talking all Steelers on Steelers Nation Radio. We'll get into all those details later. The Buckos have won 10 straight. They've outscored their opponents 64-20. to Their starters are 8-0. Got a 311 team batting average. Marte's hitting 350. Dickerson's hitting 361. Joining us now to discuss from Bucks Dugout and the Locked On Pirates podcast, he is Jason Rawlson for the first time on the show. Hey, Jason. Oh, man. You're jumping the gun there, man. I didn't even thank you for coming on yet. Thanks for coming on. Jason? Yes, I'm, I'm here. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. Uh, we're off to a rolling start. Let me ask you this, buddy. Uh, this is the this is the first question I asked the audience today, and I'll ask you the same thing. It's on my Twitter poll. Are the Pirates good? Yeah, I think so. I mean, going into the season, I thought they were very talented. You look up and down the roster, you can see guys like you mentioned, Marte, Polanco, Dickerson, uh, Vasquez, Tyon, of course. They have talent. I kind of thought, you know, they'd be a little two games over 500 at the end of the day kind of stealing a series here and there that maybe they shouldn't. And that's pretty much played out to be. I think uh, I think the stretch you saw at the beginning of the season was a glimpse of what they can do if everything was firing on cylinders, and we're seeing that now. The truth as to what this team actually is is probably in the middle, but I think it trends a little closer to what you're seeing now, what you saw at the beginning of the year, than something much worse. Yeah, I think they're probably closer to what they are at the beginning of the year, uh, but I do think that they're a baseball team that was always probably destined to be sitting kind of where they are. Uh, I think that they are a team that could challenge to be above 500. Uh, they're a team that could also maybe, if a thing or two didn't go their way, wind up being below 500, which brings us now to the question, what do the Pirates do at the deadline? Uh, do they soft sell? Do they soft buy? Maybe a little of both? Or do they try to go out and get uh, a Hap or an Archer? Uh, Hap does not have any term. Uh, Archer does. I kind of would like to see them go after a guy who they would have f- for a couple more years. Yeah, well, if you listen to their GM, the, the Pirates GM, that is, uh, they've obviously risen to his challenge. When he said, when he threw down the gauntlet a couple of weeks ago, that the team would have to really go on a little bit of a tear to make them think about buying, that's exactly what they did. So if we take him at his word, uh, it's kind of sometimes hard to do, but if we take him at his word, uh, they're going to be buyers. To the degree they're going to be buyers, I am not so sure. I hate to dampen on the parade, but someone like Archer is just going to be uh, just not in the Pirates' plans. They are not going to give up the talent needed to get that kind of level of control, I think, uh, four more years. But someone like Cap, who is a, a pure rental, or someone like, uh, just throwing some names out, Kevin Gosman from the Orioles, kind of these one- or two-year controllable guys, maybe a bit more realistic. Jason, I have railed on the Pirates for years, as says almost everyone about uh, not getting it done in the off season. Uh Over the course of the last handful of trade deadlines, though, they – have made some moves. Uh, I don't want to be the guy that now says, oh, don't buy now that they are somewhat in contention, Um, but I do kind of maybe lean a little bit more that way. So I wonder, are they better off going out and trying to spend some cash, or or are they better off going out and trying to use some prospect capital? Well, there's there's stock in a a few certain areas in their system, so... On com today, I actually uh, wrote a piece about where that strength is. It's at shortstop. They have a glut of guys there in, in the uh, in the farm system. They have a ton of good outfielders with potential. A um, couple of good corner infielders as well, and Ryan Hayes and Bill Craig. So I, I think the answer is is both, to be to take an absolute cop-out. Sure. 
Um, yeah, I mean, Neil Huntington needs to kind of uh, realize that prospects can get you fired if you don't uh, use them properly. They also they stock their major league team, but they also bring talent in. And the sooner he realizes that, the better. And I happen to think that this year, uh, this upcoming offseason, I think they will look to add to the starting rotation. So I think it may be both. Freeze, Mercer, are they both likely going to be moved out? I don't see any reason to keep uh, Mercer, certainly. It is absolutely no reason to keep them. Uh, Neil Huntington's beaten into our heads that, Neil, that uh, Kevin Newman is ready, uh, their best shortstop prospect right now. Um, there's no reason to keep them, but I also want to caution people that the market for them is not going to be that great. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Seriously, when you, look, when you look at baseball right now, there's five or six teams that are truly contending, that are truly going to be there in the championship series. You know, the Bostons, the Houstons of the world. The other guys are kind of fighting for scraps, and the market is just not going to be there for guys like Mercer and Freeze. I, I do expect that they'll listen, of course, and they may end up moving them for a very uh, minor prospect, but don't, don't get too excited. Jamison Tyon, 2-0 with a 1.59 ERA over this 10-game winning streak. Uh, it looks like he is back to the guy he was at the beginning of the season, and really it looks like he's finally living up to expectations. Uh, what's changed with him? We have to start with the slider. Uh, you know, one day he just started throwing a slider. It's as simple as that. And uh, if you're following the Pirates this year, the big storyline that you're paying attention to is the fact that the Pirates are still slaves to fastballs, but not forcing fastballs, which are kind of trendy in baseball right now. They're still beholden to a sinker, beholden to like a two-seamer, get pitches over the plate, inside, outs and three pitches or less, not using much bending stuff. The tie-on is, is going against that grain, and ever since he adopted his slider, he's had that pitch as an out is a weapon pitch, uh, and it can get him back in counts, too. So that's number one. Number two, uh, I think he's just going out there with confidence and pounding the zone. If you look at his zone rate over his past 10 starts, it's markedly better than what, is, what it was before. So he's challenging hitters and winning. Jason Rollison joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Williams has pitched well uh, over this 10-game stretch. Uh, he's 2-0, and hasn't uh, given up any earned runs. Uh, how good can he be? Uh, does he project to kind of be the guy he's been all season long, sits around a four ERA, or is there a little bit more upside there? There's a little bit more. Uh, he has good command, uh, aside from earlier in the season when he had a couple uh, very bad games in terms of walk totals. But he has good command. He, he gets in the zone. He just gets it out there. What he does better than most pitchers in the Pirates rotation, maybe Tyon excluded, is he works the edges really well, the edges of the strike zone. Um, I think he's got something like a 40, 42% edge rate, which is most among the Pirates starters right now. And he gets his fair share of called strikes in that edges as well. So he does that very well, and he just is steady. I was watching him last night, and you know nothing really seemed to face him. When he loaded the bases, he got a strikeout to get out of it, followed by a ground out. Uh, just very steady mentally, very good approach, uh, works the edges well. And I think he's close to his ceiling, but I think he might find a little bit more before it's all said and done. Who do you pull out of the rotation if they were to add a guy? Boy, it would suck if I said Trevor Williams after saying all that. But, <laughs> right. But, I mean, look, uh, the the organization is very intent on making Musgrove into a starter. Uh, of course, he spent a lot of time at the Astros bullpen last year before coming over. But they're not going to abandon that experiment. They love what Ivanova does with his two-seamer and curveball. So the guy to come out, you know, might just be Williams because Kingham also has very good breaking stuff. Um, so if they had a starter, that would be the play, in my opinion. Is that the thing to do? Should they be adding a starter? 
I go back and forth because the team's bullpen has rounded itself into shape. Right. The offense, the offense can just go on these tears out of nowhere with all the talent they have in pretty much most positions, if not all. Uh, so the only conceivable place I can see them making a plus addition would be the rotation. Um, what I kind of caution people is that when you buy a, a starter at the deadline, you're paying for 10 starts more or less, right. maybe 8 or 10 starts. So you don't want to overpay for just that many starts, but, you know, if you can, you know, if a starter comes over for 10 games, you win 8 of them, that's a worthwhile addition. It happened with half in 15, and I think that might inform them this year. Yeah, and I think one of the things that that does is if you bring in a guy even for 10 starts, if you can get somebody who you feel confident they can go deep into baseball games, then your bullpen's not taxed. And the way the Pirates' bullpen is set up, I think their back three, maybe their back four is good. I mean, they are good pitchers. They've pitched well. It's whenever you get into that soft underbelly of the bullpen, that's whenever you're kind of effed. Yeah, Uh Good term, F. I'm going to have to work that in my sure. writing here. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Vasquez, Crick, who is extremely underappreciated in my opinion, uh, Santana and Richard Rodriguez, those guys are quite the foursome. So you're right. The cumulative effect of adding a starter could, uh, you know, not only add to your strengths, but also mask some of your weaknesses, which is uh, getting to those guys. So it would be a worthwhile add, but I, you know, as, as I said earlier, if, well, if Huntington is willing to pay the prospect cost, that's another story. Can you help me understand Polanco? Because the numbers look good now. Uh, when he's bad, though, he's really bad. And the hope with him is that every time he goes on one of these tears, oh, maybe he's found himself, but maybe he's just that inconsistent player. So what's the value of a guy like that? Because at the end of the day, the stats look good, but there are times whenever you're trotting a guy out there who's not helping at all. Yeah, well, the thing about Polanco is that he did make a significant adjustment about... Uh, a month and a half ago now, I think he moved off the plate a little bit, which kind of closed some holes in his swing. So there is something you can point to that was mechanical, causing that long slump that he had. But you're right, he is kind of prone to these prolonged slumps. I look at Polanco as uh, a guy who you should know what you expect from him, and that is a power stroke. Uh, we see he's got a pretty healthy home run total right now. He can also have pretty consistent double power where he does connect for hits as well. So I think as long as you can live with a – 240, 250 average. Uh, perhaps he learns how to get out of slumps a little bit sooner. Um, but he is what he is at this point, and I would take him because, like I said, uh, he has that consistent doubles power as well as some pop for home runs as well. The Pirates outfielders rank first in the National League in OPS. Uh, they rank first in slugging and batting average. They're second in home runs, just a couple behind the Dodgers. So they're playing well. You can't trade Dickerson now, can you? No, I think it's either... Uh, rethink your outfield of the future and sign him to an extension or at least approach him for one or just play out the year with him. I don't think that uh, he'll have any less value if you decide to go in a different direction in the offseason, but he's being such a good run producer. Basically, anywhere you put him in the lineup, really, is a batting order, really. Uh, so I think at the very least, you have to play the uh, year out with him. I kind of want to see Josh Bell join this home run train. If everyone else is going to start hitting him, why not him? Well, you know, I think last year we were a little... A little led astray by his uh, home run total. I think he had 26 last year. I think that represents the absolute ceiling for him. Now, what you've seen so far this year is definitely nowhere near what I would consider the floor in terms of his power potential. He has consistent 15 to 20 home run power. I I really can't explain it. I've, I've tried to look at it, and eventually I just get frustrated and push myself away from the from the desk and, and say, screw this and go do something else. Um, but 
he is what he is, much like Polanco. He makes good contact. He has a pretty good approach. I think he does have a tendency to over-tinker at the plate um, in the box. So I think we, it's, it's more of a case of us tempering our expectations. But I also think that uh, if he could just settle on an approach and stick with it, I think he might uh, get more consistent results. Jason, the Pirates, according to Buster Olney and ESPN's projections, have about an 18% chance of making the playoffs. I think this was before yesterday's game. And the Nationals, who have a similar record, I think they had around a 58% chance of making the playoffs. You buying in any of that stuff? You know, I always take that with a grain of salt because uh, if you look at the, just at the National League Central, there's going to be some tough games for the club coming up. Um, the Brewers, as much as they faltered lately, are not really going to be any drastically worse than they have been. The Cardinals can get hot, and the Cubs are the Cubs. So I just think on that fact alone, the fact that they play those teams so often coming up, I, you know, it's going to be tough. Uh, 18% sounds about right if you believe in such nonsense. Um, but I think we have, they obviously have to play the games, of course. And you know, talk to me again at the end of August, and if that percentage jumps, then I'll start to believe it. Really good stuff, Jason. Appreciate the time. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. There he goes, Jason Rollison. You can check him out, Bucks Dugout and the Locked On Pirates podcast. 18% still sounds high. Uh, they got to jump a whole bunch of teams, and I guess 18% really isn't that great. If I went into the doctor's office and he said, Crowley, you drink too much, and we're going to give you two years, but eh, you had an 18% chance to live, I'd say, son of a bitch. Not good. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'd say not good. I'd rather be on the 82% side of things. That's a better side to be. Yeah. They're not making the playoffs. They're not. But at least they've made the last week or so enjoyable. At least it's fun to hear Greg Brown cream every time a ball flies out of the stand. Oh, it's like Game 7 of the World Series every time. And there's a hint of surprise. When Josh Harrison (laughs) hit that ball out the left yesterday, it was just like, Oh my God, he did it! It's gone! Is that really out of here? (laughs) I will say, I was equally as surprised because the second pitch of that at-bat, Josh Harrison was fooled so terribly on a pitch. It was a half swing, and I thought, boy, this guy, eh, he came back maybe a little too soon from that hammy injury. <laughs> and then the next pitch, bam, gone. So, okay, I can understand the surprise there. Hell, all of it's surprising. For as bad as they looked for a stretch to win 10 games, it came out of absolutely nowhere. It's one big surprise. We're in the middle of one big surprise. There's little parts to it, but, like, it's like a dream world right now because you're like, really, is this happening? Is this is this going on? And I hope people aren't clouded by that. I oh, hope people realize. Are. Well, they are, <laughs> but they need to realize that they're three games above 500, and that's kind of where they were always going to be at at the top end. Like this is a team that they could lose their next five in a row, and no one should be surprised. Uh, and if they lose two in a row, and this is why the 18% thing doesn't make that much sense to me, and it still sounds a little high, even despite my little analogy with the drinking problem, if you're four games back, and you go on a two-game losing streak, and all of a sudden you're out of the damn you're thing. You're done. It's a different yeah. picture. Yeah. like yeah. It, Four games feels a lot different than six. Sure does. And five, you're taking that seesaw right up the crack. Coming up next, what would constitute a successful season for the Pirates this year? I'll tell you what I think, and I got to keep banging on Le'Veon. It's a Crowley show. 
The Adam Crowley Show. Brought to you by the Erector Protector, protecting your junk since 2016. If you want to keep the bang out yo wang, you need Erector Protector. Available at Walgreens, CBS, and Arby's. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. What do the Pirates have to do this year for the season to be constituted a success? 412-922-2874. Here's what I say. Make a meaningful ad at the deadline. Or at least a piece or two. Doesn't have to be a huge piece. Doesn't have to be a huge piece. And then go into the offseason with the ability to actually improve this club. Because as we saw last year, on the offensive side of things, they're a pretty good baseball team. They can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Their outfield is, this year, one of the best in all of baseball, uh, certainly in the National League. And they can score runs. The pitching staff isn't horrendous. It's also not good. Add a piece there now. Add another piece in the offseason. And this is a team that can be not just a wild card contender, but a wild card winner. And yeah, they're not going to compete with the Cubs, but are you supposed to just rest on your laurels until the Cubs start sucking again? When the hell is that going to be? They're spending all kinds of money. They're going to be good for a long time. The Cardinals are always going to be good. The Brewers aren't willing to spend money. The Brewers are willing to add. I said not too long ago, blow it up. I've gone back and forth a lot about what they should do. And at times this year, you look at the team and things look bleak and you wonder what they've got to look forward to and uh, what players they're going to be able to build around for the future. But if you hang on to Dickerson and Marte, at least two-thirds of your outfield is going to be good. And Polanco is a fine complimentary player. Jameson Tyon, since he's been throwing the slider, looks like the Jameson Tyon that he's supposed to be. Like his rookie year. He looks like the guy last year before it got cancer. He looks like the guy he was at the beginning of this season. He can be your number one. He can. I have faith. He was drafted to be that guy. He can be that guy. In the bullpen, you got your closer, and you've got three guys leading up to him that are pretty good. This is a baseball team that had they added this offseason, had they added prior to the season, they'd probably be sitting in a wild card lead right now. But they're exactly what I thought they'd be. We all kind of thought they'd be. Three games over, three games under, and that's where they were always going to finish. That's why you add to that clean that team. You either add or you blow it up. And now I'm back on team add. We'll see what team they're on. 412-922-2874. Todd Gurley signed a four-year, $60 million extension, $45 million guaranteed. According to Adam Schefter, it's the largest guarantee given to a running back and the largest per-year average for any running back in the league. We have spent so much time on this program talking about Le'Veon Bell, and we'll spend more time coming up in 13 minutes with Jerry Dulac talking about it. And we've said that he wants to get paid as a playmaker. He is one of the best players in this league, and therefore wants to get paid as one of the best players in this league. And that was his line, and that was his agent's line, and the position didn't matter, and... That was what they were going to say. That's how they were going to try to get this shiz done. But now they don't have to sell that anymore. This Todd Gurley contract is going to make it so instead of Le'Veon Bell and his agent walking into whatever negotiation they're going to walk into this offseason and saying, pay me like a playmaker, 
All they're going to need to say is pay me like Todd Gurley. Pay me like a running back. Pay me like the next highest guy. And maybe the sticking point then will be, I want to get paid more than Todd Gurley. But at least there's a precedent where he shouldn't be making any less than $45 million guaranteed. And that's been the sticking point all along. The guaranteed money. That was the issue. Because the Steelers did offer a nice contract. The Steelers offered a hell of a lot more than they needed to, given the running back market prior to this girly signing. I mean, look at Devontae Freeman at four or at eight point two five million dollars a season. Le'Veon Bell's got to be thinking, "Come on, shoot! I got to be trying to sway the conversation in a different manner. The conversation being, pay me as a wide receiver and a running back." But he's got to look at Todd Gurley now and just want to kiss that dude on the lips. Ah, Stick his tongue down his throat. Maybe give him a little reach around. For all you Steelers fans out there who called Le'Veon Bell greedy and have continued to call Le'Veon Bell greedy and to say he's made a huge mistake, what do you think now? Yeah, well, you could still get hurt, Crowley. Yeah, he could still get hurt. Maybe he gets injured and he never makes that money. Right. That's a gamble. But now that's the only gamble. If he's healthy, he will produce. If he produces, which he will if he's healthy, he will make $45 million guaranteed next year. Mark that shiz down. Mark it down. Let's put this one up in the win column for Mr. Crowley, for the crown man. Because I told you all along he was going to get what the Steelers were offering or more. And now he will. Things got a lot easier for Le'Veon Bell in the open market. He didn't have to change the way running backs get paid. Because Gurley did. So now he doesn't have to. Now he just has to say, look what he got, let me get it. That's it. It's easy. Easy peasy. A lot easier than it would have been had he gone in without that contract having been signed. We got to talk about this mouse again. I can't kill things. I just can't. I found a mouse half dead in my kitchen this morning. Reminded me a lot of the pirate season. I thought it was dead right off the bat, but now it's twitching and it's still alive. But you knew it was going to die anyhow, kind of like the pirates' playoff chances in a week or so's time. And my wife said, Adam, you got you to gotta kill it. You got to let it outside. And she said, look at it, the poor thing. It was dragging itself around on its Aww. two front legs. Aww. I know. And its back two legs weren't working. And it had some like crusted blood on the back of its head because my cats were probably just teeing off on it all night long. Uh. Like the pirates and Corey Kluber yesterday. And I couldn't kill it. I couldn't. I let it outside. And then after I realized what I had just done, let it outside where all the predators in the world could come down and just <laughs> scrape up little Mickey over here. I thought, I got to do something better. So I dragged them on over to my neighbor's garage where there's a hole to get in. I bumped them right against it, and I said, go, little effer, go. <laughs> oh, no. Die in peace. Don't get eaten alive. You gave him, like, a respectable, like, uh, uh, what is that? You you gave him, like, a place to pass on, I guess? Is that what you... <laughs> it's exactly what I did. Yeah. Instead of me bashing him over the head with a hockey <laughs> stick, or instead of him getting eaten alive by a raccoon or a hawk, we have a hawk in our backyard, we've named it Tony. <laughs> So Tony would have eaten Mickey? <laughs> Tony Hawk would have eaten Mickey. 
just an easy grab for Tony. He'd be looking around for squirrels and such. Oh, look, a half-dead mouse. Oh, that's like a Skittle. I'm going to get that. Easy. Time. Done. And it very well still might have happened. I didn't actually see Mickey claw his way into the hole. But the question I have for you guys is, and Tom's back, Brian now on the other side of the glass, how could I possibly have killed a mammal? Like, I, I couldn't have brought myself to do it. Looked a poor little guy in the eye and beat him to death. Well, haven't you heard of mercy killing? I've heard of mercy killing. Like, that mouse was suffering. It was, man, but what was I going to do that wasn't going to bring it any further suffering? I am a clumsy son of a ju- gun. Gun. <laughs> oh, so you think if you tried to kill it, you would have just injured it more and it still would be alive? It would have like hit it on the head with a shovel and you'd be like, all right, it's done. And then it just start crawling away again. You're like, damn it, I have to hit it again. And you keep trying to hit it with the shovel and it just keeps living. That's precisely what would have happened. Yeah. I actually had a situation where in Baltimore you have a ton of rats. Everybody has to deal with them. Every once in a while they make their way into the house. And I had one in my mom's basement. This thing started walking in. I had the door open, so I had to get it out of the house. And I tried to shoo it out, which doesn't work with rats. They don't respond to the shoe. Like, shoo, rat, shoo. Rat didn't listen at all. So my only move was to try to brush it out with the broom, and it wasn't having it. It kept coming back in. So I got to the point where I was actually throwing down strikes on this thing with the broom. And I'm hitting it, but I can't muster all my energy. Like, I don't have, like, that killer instinct where I'm going to cut this thing's head off with the edge of the broom. So I'm half-ass hitting it, which is just making it stunned. So the thing kind of starts stumbling around a little. It doesn't know what the hell's going on. It's trying to retreat into the house. And I couldn't kill it, man. I couldn't, like, muster the force to take a life like that. So what I had to do was put a bucket over its stunned ass and kind of, like, slide it out to the door. That happened in Game of Thrones, where Theon Greyjoy wanted to prove that he was all man and cut a dude's head off. Sir Roderick. And he wound up having to cut his head off in, like, 15 different swipes. It was not clean. The guy suffered the entire time. It was brutal. Because he's not meant for that. I'm not meant for it either. Brian's not meant for it. Tom's like, mercy kill, man. You couldn't have done it either, man. I really don't think I could have done no! it No! What, if, what yeah. if you tried to like set it up where Brian said he put it in a bucket, but what if you like sprayed like a bunch of Lysol or Axe bombs Jesus! Spray under the bucket, You're telling close me that the dad's bucket. not going to make him suffer? No, you not, don't have to see him die. Tom, you I'm don't not have here to, for like... murder. The goal was to get the rat out of my house if I contained him but under the, rat's the bucket. die. I'm not just going to have like a fun killing going on. Yeah, Tom's like, I would have burned him and then I would have tied a ribbon around his wrist so that all the other rats knew that I was coming yeah, for them too. Yeah, probably would have nailed him to the front door, you know, just when they walk up to like, Oh, that, that guy means business. Just send a message. Know. Dear God. Minnie, you're next. That's that's sad. What do you think, Hat? Yeah, you know, two two scenarios could have happened with your mouse here. Okay, he could have rallied. Maybe it was just a temporary injury, maybe a muscle pull or something. He was having some cramps and couldn't really pull it together. Or Tony Hawk has his nest on the other side of that hole, and you put him right in front of it to crawl in there, and he got mauled by a hawk. So one good scenario. As a betting man, which I am, I would say he's on the other side of my neighbor's garage door dead. <laughs> like like three inches. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's nice and cool in here. Did you let me ask you this? Did you think for any second like any way to save the mouse? I thought about it after the fact. <laughs> like maybe I can drive him to the vet. <laughs> But he probably would have died in the ambulance. If I could have life-flighted it, maybe it would have survived. I don't know if it was a spinal injury or if his legs were broken. Mr. Crowley, what's your pet? Well, it's a mouse. I uh, 
Yeah, I found it outside. This is Mickey. <laughs> you have to do everything you can to save it. I'm going to need it vaccinated. I'm going to need some rabies shots. And you got one of those tags, like in a small, because I don't think he could carry the dog size one. You know what? I feel really bad now. He could be intubated. He could be intubated as we speak, still living. And now he's probably dead. Yep, he could have been saved. But your first thought was murder. When you couldn't do that, you stopped thinking. Could have saved Mickey. Hey, man. <laughs> I ain't the Grim Reaper. I'm just part of this world that he's living in. Are there people, like, I know there are, but there's people out there who will just go with, like, reckless abandon. Like, just throw the ha- Like, they're looking for a hammer. See, I stopped at a broom. I didn't go to it. But you know there's guys out there, even girls, who are like, no, the broom's not enough. Hammer's not hard enough. I'm getting the sledgehammer. Braden says, just put your heel on its head and stomp. Put yeah, it out of its no. misery. Yeah, but no. Braden, Braden kills all kinds of stuff. Braden, Braden's a murderer. <laughs> Braden's a bad guy. <laughs> you know what, Braden? I don't want you listening to the show anymore. Murderer. Joey tweets at underscore Adam Crowley, your ability to come close to swearing on the radio without swearing is impressive. I agree. It's one of my yeah. strongest suits. It's your superpower. But I... Went so far out of my way to stop myself from swearing earlier in the segment that words didn't even come out of my mouth. <laughs> Coming up next, hopefully words come out of his mouth. It's Jerry Dulac of the Post-Gazette and the Steelers Radio Network. Going to ask him about Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley making that money. And i got to get his thoughts on Tiger, too. And whatever the guy's name is who actually won the Open Championship. It's the Crowley Show.